Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Well, hello, friends. It's podcast day. I love days like this. I've got my cup of tea ready to go, and I am excited to be with you all today and share some new knowledge or maybe just revisit some old knowledge and all about transitions. So this came to effect um, recently, I visited a service and I just noticed there was a little bit of disconnect between um, their routine of the day and the common issue that we found were the transitions. So obviously our goal with transitions is for them to be um, smooth, but for your whole day to be very calm and very unrushed and just have a natural flow to the day. So we're going to dive into that today. So wherever you're joining us from, the car, your walk, your bed, I hope you're having an amazing day Um, and I can't wait to share this knowledge with you today. So what I thought we would do first is look at how it relates to the early years learning framework and national quality standards what are transitions, the types of transitions that you can have, um, and just go through some little bit of tips and strategies that you can use to implement in your service. So in the early years learning framework, it does say different places and spaces have their own purposes, expectations, and ways of doing things. So children are very resilient, and it is our job. They love predictability. They love Um, being able to know what comes next. And that way, that is how your day and your routine flows. So what we tend to find is that transitions tend to be the most difficult and stressful moments in any education and care setting. At these times, children often display more challenging behaviours and educators feel almost like police officers than nurturing educators. So if you are uncomfortable or frustrated during transition times, this is a sign that your current schedule may need to, you may need to critically reflect on that to better meet the needs and developmental levels of the children in your care. So some common problems that we find with transitions are that the daily routine has a high number of scheduled transitions. So if you think about your day, how many transitions do you have in a day? So the types of transitions we're looking for are arrival and departure, moving from indoors to outdoors, to a new experience, to bedtime, to rest time, to lunchtime, to a different space in the classroom or the room. Or then we look at those major milestones. So transitioning from one service to school perhaps, um, or one room or space um, with some different educators. So with our transitions, it's not when, but it's how you do them. And we want to make sure that this is predictable. 
We want to make sure that we another common problem we see in services is that their transitions are rushed. So educators know we know how much we have to do in a day and what comes next. And often at that process with how we do that is not thought out and it's not predictable. It's different every day. So we try to rush through the routine because perhaps we're not running on time. Um, perhaps for whatever reason we rush through those routines. And in actual fact. The most beautiful things can happen and the most meaningful and purposeful learning can happen from those times in between those transitions. So if you look at it in those times, it's independence. It's actually helping, getting the children to help and support you to set the table, getting the children to help you to clean, getting the children to help you to serve their own meals, um, getting the children to help um, other children um, get the meals and having those beautiful conversations. So I really want to encourage you to slow down and focus and go back to those foundational basics of that transition and those routines of your day. The other common problem is that children don't know what is coming up next. So because each day is different, each day um, it's not the same house or it's not the same process that is used from one thing to the next thing. So, or, you know, how we do it, it's it's confusing. So imagine going to a workplace um, and they every day it's different. So you show up and you have no idea what to expect. So I know for me, if I was to show up and I had no idea what to expect, even on my first day, that feeling of like, oh, I hope it's okay. I hope everyone's nice. I wonder what happens. And then I turn up the next day and it's completely different. So we want to make sure that there's that predictability and familiarity with what is coming up next and how we do things. Now, the next problem is that children are not ready to stop doing what they're doing. So they may be engaged in an experience, um, whether it's um, block building or whatever they're doing, whatever experience they're engaged in. But guess what? It's time for lunch. So we got to pack away. But what happens with that child? A really beautiful analogy that I like to use um, is is around IKEA flat pack furniture, right? So imagine you have your IKEA flat pack furniture. And um, I'm going to say, okay, it's time. You need to build the flat pack. So whether you're building a shelf, let's say you're building a cupboard. And um, so you build that cupboard, you put it together, you've got all your, all your screws out, um, all the pieces out of the box. Hang on a second. It's lunchtime. So we need to pack away. So I need you to pack all of that away and um, we can get it out when we when it's time to have that time again. So, okay, we've had lunch, we've had rest time and then um, it's our afternoon opportunity to build this flat pack furniture. So we get it back out of the box, we put the screws, we start to put every all the pieces together um, and this way, this time, we get halfway through the, the building our cupboard but it's time to pack away for afternoon tea. It's time to go outside. So I have to put that all of that back in the box, take it all apart, put it back in the box. Now, my question to you is, are you going to want to go back for a third time and start that process all over again? So one of the tips I want to share with you today is, what do you have in place in your service so that if you do need to pack away, which I'll talk a little bit about in a minute, but Can you tidy up instead of packing away? Is there a space that you can put things that are not completed or not finished or that the child wants to go back to? 
What is your process around that? Do you have an under construction area that the children can place things ready to go back to um, when they're when it's time? Often in classrooms, we may not have a lot of space. There may be a certain time of the day that we do need to pack away. You know, rooms are not, <laughs> some services are very, very lucky that they have so much space in their classrooms, but others are quite small spaces. So we do need to put out the beds at rest time. We do need to have that space. So what area or what section of the room can they use or can you use to put their um, little projects or little um, things that they're working on to come back to? Now, the next common problem with transitions that we find is that um, children have little or no warning of what is expected of them. So if we're chopping and changing and things are different every single day, what warning um, are we giving them? So sometimes things don't go according to plan and that's okay. But we need to look at the children and we need to respect where they're at. If there is a group of children that are so engaged in an experience, why can't they continue that experience and you just go on with your day with the children who are ready for lunch or who do want to support you with lunch? My question to you, which I really want you to stop and reflect on, is why does every child need to do the same thing all the time? I know that me, I'm an individual and every single child within our education service is a different child, different personality. If we look at morning tea, for example, if we're all sitting down together for morning tea, why? what happens if I've just eaten breakfast? What happens if I'm not hungry? I don't want to be at the table. I know 100% that that's the time that we're going to see that the children start to show aggression, they start to poke, they start to punch, they start to like hit and those are where we're going to see those challenging behaviours start to present themselves and what we find is when the day is not organised into and those transitions are not in place, this is when educators then come and say, oh, it's been such a terrible day, blah, 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 did this. And we're starting to see lots of different incident reports um, and that it just gets really out of hand. And as I said earlier, we feel like we're police officers breaking up everyone um, and just making sure that everyone is safe. But let's take control back of the day. Let's set children up for success. Let's make sure that we have a plan and a structure around how we do things. And I really want you to move away from thinking about time as time. I think that we can get into um, a really bad habit in our sector of being quite robotic. Every day, we don't need to be doing the same things every single day, but it's how we do things that need to be consistent. They don't need to be at the same time. I really encourage services to have what we call a flow of the day. So we started actually taking the times out of our routine and it was literally just the flow of the day. So this thing and then this thing and then this thing so that it was predictable for the children and they knew what was coming up next. What you can also do is implement a um, picture routine. So using your pictures within your service, whether it's taking photos or just little cartoon pictures and having that as a visual routine and a visual asset in your service so that the children can see and be part of what's coming up next as well. 
with giving them warning, um, just make sure that if something does change, have that communication over why. Give plenty of notice. I like to call it notice, not warning, um, around you know, we've got five minutes and we need to tidy up for rest time, for example. So then they know what's coming up next. You might have a special visitor that day. So you might need to change the flow of the day a little bit and that's okay. Even have that discussion in the morning around any changes of the day because children love to feel a part of that decision-making process. Children like to have that predictability. And I know coming off um, covid for the past couple of years, we are getting more and more children that are having that anxiety around what to expect and what to know. So predictability is really important for those children. And for those children who are still struggling to settle into your service, perhaps develop them their own little visual routine of the day and have photos of them in a little... um, was it called the little album that they can carry around with them so that they feel comfortable and safe in the environment. We know and the research states that children need to feel safe and secure in order to learn. So that is our first starting point that we need to make sure that they feel safe and secure and having smooth Um, calm and unrushed transitions is a beautiful way to be able to do that. So the national quality standards, so this relates really well to um, three national quality standards. So element 1.1.3, which is all about program learning opportunities. So all aspects of the program including routines, are organised in ways that maximise opportunities for children's learning We've got 5.1.1 is positive educated to child interactions. So responsive and meaningful interactions build trusting relationships which engage and support each child to feel secure, confident and included. Then we've got 6.2.1 is all about transitions. So continuity of learning and transitions for each child are supported by sharing information and clarifying responsibilities. So we've talked a little bit about the types of transitions. We've talked about how it relates to the early years learning framework, the national quality standards and some common problems with transitions. So let's have a talk about what it should look like or could look like for your service. So we want to make sure that we're looking at that flow. We went to the extreme. As I said, we removed the times from our routine and we also removed the clocks from the room. So instead of us looking at the time and being clock watchers and time Nazis and looking like what's the time, what's the time, what's the time, what's next, what's next, what's next, we really wanted to focus on those relationships and our interactions and the time that we got to spend with the children. We didn't want to worry about what comes next. We're not running on time. Here's the news. Not every day is going to go according to plan. And we need to be okay with that. As long as you are sticking with that flow of the day and how it impacts, there are certain times in bigger centres that if you aren't running on time, it can impact, but that's okay. You can make up for it in other ways. Potentially, you might have a shorter... um, 
it just shorten another experience or just rather than have the next thing in your flow, you'd move straight to lunch, for example, if they're engaged in that experience. Or you could start lunch, as I said, with the other children. And then once those other children had finished that experience, then they could come and join you for that meal time. I'm a really big believer and it's something that I introduce to services really, really quickly. Um, Some services have more apprehension than others, um, but it's around transitional meal times. So transitional meal times, um, what they look like is that not every child needs to eat at the same time. It is small groups. I'm a big believer in no matter what you're doing, if you can do it in small groups, it you get so much more valuable learning. You have those really meaningful conversations and you're building that trust and respect with the children. That group of children is manageable as well. So if you're just starting out in early childhood, and um, you have a group of 10 children with you doing an experience, that might be really difficult for you to manage. So what you want to look at is how comfortable do I feel? What experiences am I providing? Are they safe? Do I need to limit the number of children that are joining me in this experience? And that is okay because you can swap over. The other children will also get a turn. And you know what? It's a life skill. So um, I know that there's a lot of believers out there that are like, oh, just move extra chairs to the table. That's okay. But I believe in not only educating children for school, but for life. And in life, sometimes we can't have things straight away. So sometimes it really is important to embed those values and those skills around patience and and an explanation to say, I'm just working with um, Charlie, Sarah and Mary right now. But as soon as they finished, you're next and I'm going to call you to come over. And as that's part of your um, practice and that's part of your philosophy of your centre and it's embedded in what you do, the children will start to become used to that. However, just make sure that you note who that child is that's going to be next for that experience because they will remember. Um, And if you don't call them um, up for that experience, they won't believe you next time. So I want to ask, how many times in the day are you packing away? How many times in the day are the children actually putting all the resources away and actually packing away? Imagine if that when you're doing those transitional meal times that you it's I like to look at it as a different experience of the day. It's just another experience. So we have one table in a dining space or or a meal area in the classroom, and this is where we have our meals in the smaller groups. And then what happens is that the next group will transition to um, the next experience or be able to go and choose another experience to be able to participate in. And it also works really well. And I'm a big believer in indoor outdoor. So having that door open and then inviting the children over um, when you have like spare seats or um, yeah, any further seats at the table. Meal times are the most beautiful experience with children. You can have so many valuable, funny, um, amazing conversations 
is. So the other thing I want to challenge you around today, I know I'm introducing all of these things, but it's just popping in. So I've got to do it, um, is around group times. So people, there's a conception out there that children have to sit down for a group time. Everyone has to come together as a whole group and sit for a group time and read a story. But what happens is, and I remember I did this, um, I went to this training once, Molly Roden, she's amazing. She's based in Canberra. You should look her up. She's awesome. And she went into um, the a service and she interviewed the children. And they said, they called it sit down time, we sit down, because all the children heard during that time was sit down, cross your legs, sit on your bottom. And so ask yourself as an educator, how enjoyable is group time? And what value or benefit are the children learning from that time? So in your space and in your environment, how and you might think, well, how am I going to teach the children? And I will delve into intentional teaching in a different episode. I'm not going to get into it today um, because there's a massive misconception around that as well. However, I want to challenge your group times. Like, why can't you just get some stories? Um, You might be looking at an interest right now um, and get those books out, have them ready to go. Go and sit in the outdoor area. I guarantee that a group of five, six, seven, eight children will come over and and engage in that story time with you. Why do group times always need to be sitting on the rug and educators sitting at the front of the classroom I'm in charge. I'm going to intentionally teach. And yes, I've got my um, this concept to you today. Why can't they just be spontaneous? Why does a group have to be a full whole group? Why can't, you know, the dancing occur during the day? Why can't the book reading occur during the day? And it does. If you look at a baby's room, Babies' rooms do the flow of the day so beautifully and they're responsive to the needs of each child. So every child generally in a nursery age group has their own differing routines and those educators in that room cater to their own individual routines. So their sleep times, their eating times, um, perhaps nappy changes and um what happens is they'll get a book out and they'll sit down and read a book. Then the younger children who may have been sleeping will wake up. So they'll get another experience ready for them because it's a big age group, zero to two, for example. But imagine you're three to fives. So three to fives is very similar. And what happens is once they sort of get a little bit older, it's like, okay, no, well, they're going to move over to our routine now. They're a little bit older. They're able to do that. And that's fine. But just consider the question previously, why do all the children have to do the same thing all the time? And where are you getting the most challenging behavior coming from? And are you being responsive to the children's needs? Are the children being seen, heard and valued in your service? In the morning, you can ask the children as they arrive, what have you done today? or what would you like to do today, sorry, um, at your meal times, this is the perfect opportunity. So to extend on our group times, this is the perfect opportunity at meal times to start getting the children's voices, have a question, a question of the day that you sit down and when they come over for meal times, you're documenting their voices. So you might have a question around, um, whatever you're focusing on. So you might even ask them, if you're looking to review your menus, for example, you might ask them, what's your favorite meals at home? What do you like to eat? Great, add that as um, the children's voices and reflection on your menus. You might be um, 
talking about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs comes up at least two to three times a year in that preschool age group. Um, So, and you might ask, well, what do you know about dinosaurs? And you get all of their voices and what they know and their funny anecdotes. Take a photo of it, upload it to the the families can see what the children have asked as well. Mother's Day, what do you love about your mum? Um, And then what do you want to learn? So if you're going back to your interests, what do you want to learn? And really getting their input and engagement and involving the children as part of the day. I know that it seems like we have so much time, 7am to 6pm, for example, so much time, 11 hours, but the day flies between nappy changes and meal times, rest time, like the day just flies by and then you're like, where did all that time go? So what we need to do is we need to come back look at these routine and there's transitional times of the day and really maximize the learning that's happening during those times. Like I went to a service um, a few weeks ago and I'd never seen this before. And when I observed it, I was like, that is so obvious. Like why, why doesn't everyone do this? So what the educator did um, is that they, I can't, oh, they were learning about road safety And during mealtime, the educator actually got out like all the road signs and they were having a discussion about it, what it meant, where it goes. Um, And she was sitting down with them at the mealtime at morning tea, um, talking about these road signs. And I was like, that's such a great idea. Like, I feel like almost like we've wasted all this time um, when we just sit down, we rush through morning tea, get the whole group there, sit down, sit down. We're not finished yet. Wait for your friend. But why? Like, why can't we just have a meaningful engagement, learning opportunity um, with the children and really enjoy that time with them? Because I really want to move away from feeling like we've got so much to do and we need to speed through our day. I want each and every one of you to have more magic moments in the day. Moments that make you feel like this is why I do what we do. Calm and unrushed. So transitions can be really smooth. Transitions can create a whole, when they're not done properly, they can create a whole disconnect from the day. So you want to make sure that you avoid wait time. So wait time, for example, is um, let's just say you've got the children sitting at the table. So again, it's a small group because we love small groups. But in this situation, the educator hasn't prepared what the experience that the children are going to engage in. So instead of um, the... So the educators sat the children at the table. Now they're going to go and they're going to get everything they need for this experience with the children. The children are sitting at the table waiting for, let's say, 10 10 to 12 minutes for the educator to go and quickly grab things ready for that experience. So what what meaningful learning is happening during that waiting time other than patience? And you can imagine children, their attention span and their patience at that age um, are very limited. So they recommend the age of the child are the minutes that the children has an attention span for. Two-year-old, two minutes. Five-year-old, five minutes. So you can imagine this small group of children sitting at this table for 12 minutes. What do you think happened? They're pushing, they're poking, they're yelling, oh, blah, 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 hit me, blah, blah, push me, they touch my hair because they're bored. 
they're bored. They don't want to wait. And I'm not saying that patience isn't an um, important skill to teach children. I, I believe I'm a big believer in patience. But what we need to look at is we need to look at what we can do in advance to prepare for that time. So with the example of the educator getting everything ready at the table with the children, I would make sure that those resources or materials were available and ready to go. So whether I needed to take a couple of children with me um, to go and collect all of those materials and have it as part of the day, because children love to be involved, they love to help. So however we can do that, it is fantastic. So just make sure that If the children are going into the kitchen, for example, to get ingredients, perhaps to make Play-Doh, just make sure that you have a risk assessment around that and that's something that your service is used to. There is no reason why children can't go to the kitchen. There's no reason why children can't go to the laundry. There's no reason why children can't go outside and get something if you're inside. And that is also how you ensure that you're working directly with children at all times and you're part of the ratio of the classroom. Just make sure that you're looking at what you're doing and you've got that risk assessment involved in that process before you do it because you want to make sure that you're being very proactive with those risks and that you're also educating the children along the way with what those risks are. So that's just my side note. But um, so you want to make sure that you plan and you prepare and you have these resources. In the situation I told you where the children are waiting at the table, it was a spontaneous experience. The children had asked if they could, which is fine. But just take a couple, let, let them engage in the experiences, have the children that ask you to do that experience come with you to collect the materials. And that is part of of the learning. That's part of the experience. The experience doesn't start by just, for example, putting the Play-Doh on the table. The whole experience is, I will, okay, well, what do you think we need? All right, well, let's go and collect those things from the kitchen um, and we can put those together. Oh, do you think, let's have a look at the ingredients. Let's have a look at the recipe. And it's that process that, that adds that valuable learning. Just in those three steps that I've taken, I've done early numeracy. So we've talked about like how much needs to go in each step. We've talked about what we need. So literacy, we're reading the um, menu or the ingredients um, on the menu with what we, not the menu, what's it called? Um, The recipe (laughs) with what we need. Um, So you can see how that's such valuable learning as we go through. And I really want you to consider how can you currently add to your experiences so that you are really adding value and meaningful learning to the children and for the children to be part of the process. The other example of wait time is when you transition from, let's say, indoors to outdoors. Are the children lining up at the door? How long are they waiting or to line up at the door? How can that be reduced? What can you do um, to reduce that time frame? Can someone, which I'll talk about an approach in a second, but can an educator already be outside and so the doors open? So as the children get up from rest time, for example, that they're just going outside. It's a flow. It's smooth. They're not waiting. They don't have to wait to go outside. What am I waiting for? 
Um, so lining up at the door is a big waiting time. Sitting down waiting for the educators to get materials ready is a big waiting time. Um, meal time, sitting down and waiting for the meals to go on the table. Um, look at your transitions and look at how you can have it, things ready to go. We know what's coming up next. What, how do you need to design your flow of the day and your transitions of the day so that it is smooth, um, unrushed and calm? The approach I want to introduce to you is, um, it's called the triangle approach. And what happens is if you're a beginning, you can tell beginning educators that they don't know where to go. So they'll just stay and they'll just sit there. And those educators who are quite experienced and knowledgeable are like, oh, it's so frustrating. Like, I feel like I'm doing everything myself. Why are they not moving? They're just sitting there. They're just staying there. They don't know. They're learning. So it's really important and this is a great approach that you can introduce to them. So when I talk about a triangle approach, so let's say you have three educators. So they're my points of the triangle. One, two, three. If I have the children sitting for meal time, the other children are engaging in experiences and then I have some children washing their hands. Those are my three points of my triangle. So I need to communicate to my team. I need to say, I'm going to be doing morning tea with the children. I'm going to start morning tea over here. Um, Can you, Sarah, can you just stay with the children and continue to engage and supervise them in their experiences? Um, And Megan, can you please go into the bathroom and can you please help the children wash their hands in the bathroom ready to come over for morning tea? That is what a triangle approach looks like. We need to look at how... Where does each educator need to be? And the way we know that is by where are the children going next? So let's say that you are sitting for a group time um, and the children are, so some children are transitioning off their beds. You've got a group time because you're putting on sunscreen and hats, for example, and um, putting back, putting shoes on after rest time and then outside. So you need room in that situation. You need to have an educator with the children on their beds. They might also be putting away the beds. Then you would have another educator with the children ready to put on their shoes, their sunscreen, their hats. And then you would have another educator outdoors. So as all the children are up, then that educator, that first educator who's with the children sleeping and putting away the beds, they would then transition outdoors as more children start to transition into that space. So it's really important especially with beginning educators, that we set them up for success and we're communicating that. If you are a beginning educator and you're new to the sector, you need to ask your leaders, where do you want me to be? Where do I need to be right now? And ask that at multiple times in the day. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? Ask those questions. And then once you work on your transitions, your routine, that flow of the day, it will start to make more sense to you even as an educator because it's predictable. If you come into a classroom, so let's say you're a beginning educator or perhaps you're um, an educator that floats in different classrooms and supports different age groups you and you um, are just um, confused. If you are confused, so are the children. So give them that feedback. Just say, look, I feel like it's different every day what happens in your room. There's no consistency. There's no predictability. Perhaps can we do a critical reflection around those transitions and times of the day and how we can make them more smooth and predictable. 
The other thing I'm for is creating a centre community. So have the children be a part of the flow of the day as much as possible. What jobs can you give them? Um, what So we have lanyards, we have different jobs of the day. So a job might be, okay, um, Sarah, it's your job today to set the table for lunch. So just this is how and count, get them to count the children. How many children do we have today? I'm incorporating numeracy. Um, so they're putting out that amount of plates, that amount of forks at the table, setting the table ready to go. Um, you can also have them put the drink bottles. You can also have them put the plates out. Um, you can also have them take the dishes to the kitchen. So think about, I know Maria Montessori, a quote that really resonates for me so deeply and in my throughout my whole career and my practice, as soon as I heard it and it just clicked to me, was our job is done when the children no longer need us. And that is our job. Our job is to set the children up to be independent, to be able to do every little thing in the day that they can. If the children can do it, let them. So that includes cleaning, that includes um, washing their dishes, that includes making their beds, um, that includes everything they can do themselves, encourage them to do it. It'll take a while and yes, it'll take longer than normal, even as a parent, I know. Um, a lot of parents can get frustrated in the morning, you're in a hurry, you're in a hurry. Um, and so what happens is you, that we end up, well, we end up doing it for them. So, but in, instead, if we planned that time and it was just part of that flow. So let's say we, you know that um, your two-year-old toddler is going to want to put their shoes on themselves um, and it's going to be a fight. You're not going to be able to help them because they want to do it themselves because they're just going through that that phase fine encourage them let them but plan for that so potentially you might need to organize 10 more minutes whether it's in your home or your um, routine in your classroom to be able to account for them to do it themselves every time we do something for a child we take away that learning opportunity for them to do it themselves And I know that you've seen that look on their faces when they can do it all by themselves for the first time. If you see a child struggling, um, ask them. Don't just step in. Don't just do it for them. Ask them, would you like some help? Can I help you? And then you can obviously provide that help to them. But ask them that question. They might want to keep persisting. But then if they say, no, no, I'm okay, then say to them, no problem. I'm here. So if you need help, please let me know. I'm happy to help you. So we did the extreme. We took the clocks away. Um, But what we did do, we utilized the technology that we had within our classroom. So we use iPads. We took photos of the children all day. And um, so what we did, we set alarms. So there was one alarm, main alarm that we had. We set it for nappy changes as well, just so that we could make sure everyone was changed. Um, But the main alarm was 11 a.m. So at 11 a.m., that was our signal to start putting out beds and getting ready for that rest time flow, that rest time routine um, of the day. And that was the start of that. Um, The reason being that if that ran behind, it was quite – it's like – I mean, you all know, you're all in the sector. So that's like, you know, bedtime, bath, um, book routine, shower, bed, bath, whatever. So in our services, you can you know that that's the busiest time of the day. It's the time of the day where the most things need to happen and the most preparation needs to happen. 
So um, it's really great to plan for it, know how much time it usually takes, including the children helping. We went with the cycle. We really, and what happened after some time is that the children knew they would come up to you and they would be like, oh, I'm hungry. And then we would check the time, like if we had a watch and we'll say, oh yeah, it's like almost lunchtime. So they, they have their own internal clock. Children don't know time. They don't know it's 11 a.m. They don't know it's 12 a.m., like 12 p.m. They don't know it's 9.30 from like morning tea. So what they have is an internal clock that runs on the flow of the day. They don't understand now. They don't understand later. Those are concepts that they start to understand over time. But what they do understand is that flow. And we need to make sure that that flow is predictable and set our children and our teams up for success. So some ways that we can make our transitions um, really effective. So um, you might use songs in your transition. So um, 15 Current Buns, Cheeky Monkeys, Wibbly Wobbly Woo. Um, You might use like if you're wearing red today, um, Ants Go Marching, if your name starts with A. Um, there's heaps of different songs, Beatles in the Basin, Sandy Boy, Sandy Girl. Um, you, let's imitate an animal. So you might, your interest might be animals. So let's tiptoe like a quiet little mouse. Um, you might do drama and role play. Um, you might have a song that you use for to, to transition from one space to the other. Um, a lot of services actually do transitional meals for morning and afternoon tea because it's really easy, but then they find that they need the space for lunch. So they'll, they decide that they want to have lunch all together. The most important thing, if you are deciding to have lunch together and some services um, actually have lunches, they as with multiple groups of children, um, so multiple classrooms, the most important thing is that you're sitting at the table at the children's level as much as possible engaging with them. Um, And then you want to regularly reflect on the effectiveness of your transitions. So again, if you're noticing that those challenging behaviors are occurring during those times, it's time to reflect as they're probably not effective. So um, you can also introduce some systems or some signals to indicate that it's time to transition. (laughs) So I'm laughing at that because I remember we critically reflected on around this a lot because we did everything um, in smaller groups. So we would have groups outside, groups inside and in different spaces of the environment. And we used to yell, we were like, Sarah, um, are you hungry? Would you like morning tea? And we'd be yelling from like inside all the way to um, the backside of the yard. And um, they couldn't hear us. So we were yelling, like saying the same thing over and over and over again, getting louder and louder and louder each time. Whereas in actual fact, we could have, and we did. So when we critically reflected, um, we ended up introducing walkie-talkies with our team. So each educator had a walkie-talkie and we would just communicate on the walkie-talkie to say, hey, I've got two chairs left at the table. Can you see if anyone in your space um, has eaten? And so with transitional meals, one of the big concerns is um, around how do I make sure that every child's eaten 
Well, obviously we document that every day anyway. So you need to have that out, document it as they eat, as they come over and ask the children, how many serves did you have today? Oh, I had two serves, like fantastic. And obviously observe how much they're eating um, because you have those sneaky little children that that scrape their bowl um, if it's not something that interests them. So take note of what they're eating, communicate with your team, have strategies, systems and signals. So use the walkie-talkies, use a bell, use a tambourine, use some type of signal. Sometimes you don't even need anything. So in my example before where I said to grab, you know, three books, go and sit in the outdoor area and just have a a story time under the beautiful shade of the tree um, or in your corroboree area or, you know, inside, outside, it doesn't matter. You can have a group time. I don't feel like a group time is defined by whole group, the whole classroom. It is defined by the learning that's happening and the learning opportunities that we are providing during that time. If you are engaging and you are, and the children are laughing and having fun, you'll have more, more friends come over and join you. So really look at, um, and I challenge you to really look at what that looks like for you um, in your service um, each day as well and regularly reflect around those. So you want to look at, a, a big thing is looking at what values are important to you and um, your families and your community. So looking at what values do you want to embed in the day? So for example, respect. Respect is a really big thing, but children don't really know what respect is. So you need to break that down um, and look at respect. So respecting belongings. So tidying up and moving on um, to a next experience is a really big way to show respect and use that within your language when you're communicating that with the children. Children are capable and confident so we need to treat them like they're human beings and involve them in that process so with a transition how many and I asked you earlier how many times are you packing away in the day packing away everything packing away the whole classroom instead of packing away um I have services say, oh, when when you flow between environments, um, what does it look like? Like, isn't the room chaotic? Isn't it messy? Doesn't it look like a cyclone? When you have those values and those values are set um, with your team and everybody is on the same page, all you need to do is, as educators, communicate that with the children and it will become habit. So the example of tidying up, so tidy up the space. So if you observe children in the classroom and they're moving from, um, you know, your construction or your building space and they're just running outdoors, ask them to come back or catch them on the way out and say, hey, I noticed that you're, um, you've moved away from that space. Are you finished? Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're finished in there. Okay, well, you know, just to respect our friends and respect all of our belongings, can we, t- if you're finished, can we please tidy up in this space ready for our friends? So it's using that language and involving the children in that um, routine of the day in that community to help them to be understanding of why they're doing that ready for their new friends or ready for um, the next children to come and play in that space. Um, When everybody's on board with that same approach, um, it really works because when you're ready to transition, your classroom is already tidy because as children move away from spaces, they are tidying up. 
So in your younger groups, when you see children moving away from um, an experience, just say, let's go and tidy it up, ready for the next person. And you can help them. So make sure that we're also role modeling what we want the children to do in that space as well. So some other tips around transitions, uh, give timeframe countdowns. So um, you might say, um, hey, friends, um, in five minutes, we're just going to pack away or we're just going to tidy up our classroom. Um, let's make sure it's all tidy and ready to go. We talk a lot about putting things to in their homes. Um, so when children think about packing away or tidying up, they just think, oh, here's the, next, here's the closest cupboard. I'm just going to open it and I'm just going to chuck everything in there because when they can't see it, it's tidy. Um, but we need to teach them where things homes are. And I'll do another episode around environment. But again, this is why it's so important that things are predictable with where they are um, because then they can tidy it up because they know where it lives. You want to minimize the transitions in your day. So how can it be smooth, unrushed? You want to have lots of time for uninterrupted play and for the children to have a sense of agency to be able to take control and choose what they want to do in the day. You want to have a strategy in place on where they can put something such as um, the under construction space that we talked about um, if they want to go back to it later. You might also have the strategy if you don't have a lot of space um, where they can take a photo and add it to um, their memory folio or online to show their families Um, and then you can say, I'll help you rebuild it later on. Um, I do suggest though you're under construction you have a you you need to have a lot of a resource like if you have a room of 20 children you need to have a lot of um, like building blocks so multiple children can build structures um, at the same time however you also need I think you also need to put a time frame with your under construction with how long something can be under construction for Um, if children come for five days and they have um, you know their little lego masterpieces on display it's not really fair if they've used all the materials for all of those five days so that you have other children attend who may not come five days and want to use it but there's not enough pieces for them so set some boundaries and guidelines around that under construction space You want to be predictable and consistent with how you transition in your routine. What does it look like? You can use different songs. You can use um, all of those strategies we talked about, but you want to try to avoid that wait time. Use small groups and do things in small groups as much as possible. You might want to use a rope or a buddy system when you're moving between rooms. So always count the children before you move. And, and from one environment or one classroom to another and then when you arrive. This is the most time that children are unaccounted for and we need to make sure that we know at all times how many children we are caring for that are in our um, care at all times. You want to make sure that your visual routine, so create a visual routine, it is flexible. Remember that. It is a flexible routine. Um, you may not want to go as extreme as moving um, <laughs> moving your clocks out of the classroom, um, but it's really important to make sure that it's flexible. You want to promote independence at every single opportunity that you have with the children. 
you want to work with each child's educator. So if we're talking about moving between one classroom to another, you want to talk to the educators in the next classroom, you want to, who can collaborate and share. And you might have a system in place at your service and you should have a system for how you're communicating what is important to that child and what is important to that family family because we know every single family has different priorities different things that are important to them and once we work that out it's really easy then to communicate that but what we find feedback from families is oh you know I had a really great idea of what happens in this classroom it's amazing because this is where they started this is where we orientated and it was such a beautiful orientation process and everything was clear but then they moved up to this classroom Um, midway through the year and I'm just not quite sure what their processes are and how they do things in this classroom so it's a little bit confusing. So make sure that you have and you reflect on um, what your transitions look like for your families and what your transitions look like for moving classrooms with the children as well. So a lot of services um, we recommend in our services um, we only do two We only transition twice per year and we have set times of the year that we transition so that it's very, very clear. And what what we make sure is that we move um, more than one child at one time. So we take a small group of children, small group of friends, and they move up to the next classroom at the same time. And they have one of their existing educators go up and they visit the other classroom often. You want to also incorporate elements of the new space in your classroom. So have a look at um, the next age group up from you. Have a look at what they're doing. Um, So for example, I go to a lot of services and the preschool rooms are all serving themselves. They're very independent. Um, But then perhaps their toddler classrooms are not involved in that process. And my question is, why not? Like, why can't the toddlers serve themselves? Why can't they start to incorporate those processes? Imagine how much more successful and how how many more amazing things we could do with the children if they were already doing that before they moved into your classroom. Um, So you want to make sure you get them ready. Um, Remember, not just for school, but for life. So you want to think about all of those different concepts um, that you have and that you're doing within your service. So some key things I want you to remember from this episode are the triangle approach, avoiding wait time, making sure and reflecting on what your transitions look like in your service and making sure that the flow of your day is calm and unrushed. So let me know. Let me know how you're going. Let me know. Reach out. I've been loving all of the beautiful kindness and beautiful feedback we've been getting about our podcast. It's been incredible. Um, As always, let me know if there are any other topics that you want to discover in any future episodes or that you want us to delve into. Um, This one was relevant from a service we visited um, last week. So I promised to um, record an episode all about transitions and I'm doing a transition plan and we're um, delving into their routines but let me know let me know how you're going let me know how you find transitions in your service and I look forward to catching you Um, and I've got the beautiful Stephanie Pinto Um, you may not know her by name but you will definitely know her Facebook group so stay tuned she is our beautiful guest speaker on our next episode so we look forward to catching you then until next week keep making every moment count 
Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.